Well, we uh, started off with our call to worship. It says that we are to clap and shout praises to the Lord. And uh, by his grace, I am saved and I have been changed. Seemed like the purpose, perfect place to shout and clap. And I didn't hear one. I didn't hear one single shout or one single clap. And I appreciate the fact that we're back to uh, tithes and offerings uh, because it's so good that we bow before the Lord after we receive him and just give him thanks for his many provisions. He is such a good God, abounding in love and mercy and uh, deserves our praise, deserves us to praise him, give him thanks uh, for all of his wonderful mercies. I am going to pray first, and then I'm going to do our introduction, uh, because the introduction may be a little bit longer than the sermon, and so uh, let me pray, and we will uh, begin. Father, we do want to give you thanks, and we want to praise, and we want to shout your name on high uh, for your many blessings that you have given us, Lord, uh, so many that go uh, without gratitude and thanksgiving, uh, Father. Just every day, every day, we receive things that, that we don't deserve and are not worthy of. But Father, in your, in your good grace, in your loving mercy, Father, you have granted us forgiveness and you have given us eternal life. And we are blessed beyond measure. Amen. Uh, Father, all of the heavenly blessings that we cannot even comprehend and understand. And so, Lord, we are thankful for that and just want to give you thanks and praise, Lord. And we just ask now, Father, as we look at your word, Father, uh, first and foremost, uh, Father, we don't want to be listeners of the word only, but we want to be doers of the word. Um, Father, we don't just want to know what your word says, but we want to apply it to our lives accurately, Father. Uh, Father, we don't do this. Um, Lord, simply because we want to establish our own righteousness, Lord, but we want to fulfill the righteousness of Christ in our lives. Uh, we want you to work in us to will and to act according to your good pleasure and according to your good purpose. Uh, we want to continue to be conformed into your image and, and likeness. We want to progress in our sanctification, Lord. So we want to ask you today uh, to sanctify us in your truth. And thy word is truth. And anyone that's here that doesn't know you, uh, we also acknowledge that the word of God is the power of God unto salvation to call us into obedience of the faith. Uh, so, Lord, this is your means to call the unsaved. And so, Lord, I pray that you would call the unsaved to you today. I pray that you would grant them repentance and give them salvation by your mercy and grace, Lord. Uh, so guide us through your word. Uh, help us to understand and to glean from your word and, and do these words in our heart and our lives today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, in the introduction, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, there's six times in the Sermon on the Mount that we hear, you have heard what it was said of those of old. Verse 21, 27, 31, 33, 38, and 43. And uh, so Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, uh, correcting the, the teaching of the Pharisees. Um, notice it says... Of those of old, those speaking of the Pharisees, past teachers, and the tradition that was handed down. And so we're really looking at Pharisaical errors and Jesus correcting it. So what are some of the Pharisaical errors 
where the Pharisees err both on interpretation and application. They did not interpret it correctly, so they didn't apply it to life very well. Uh, Romans 10, 1 and 3, I won't turn there, but uh, G, uh, Paul is, is, is saying that the, uh, that the Jews had a zeal for God, but without knowledge, uh, what they were ignorant of was that they were trying to establish a righteousness of own, and they were ignorant of the righteousness of Christ. And so we can see in some of these misinterpretations what they're trying to do, since they don't have Christ, is they're trying to establish a righteousness of their own. So to establish a righteousness of their own, uh, they had to interpret it in such a way that they can obey it, basically. Uh, they couldn't obey, God, they can't obey God's standard, and so they had to lower the standard so that they could obey it. And Matthew chapter 5, in verse, in verse 20, uh, we see that... Um, Jesus said that your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the, and the Pharisees. And so they were, they were uh, raising their selves up in the eyes of the man. Uh, and Jesus was saying, you know, that's, that's not the standard. That's not my standard. Uh, you missed the standard. In fact, it's far above the Pharisaical standard uh, because in Matthew 5, 48, it says you have to be as holy as God is holy. And the only way for that to occur is for the imputed righteousness uh, of, of Christ. And you could put your favorite whoever in that particular verse right there, um, your righteousness must exceed that of the popes, it must exceed that of Billy, uh, Billy Graham, John MacArthur, or whoever, man does not re reach the standard. Man cannot reach the standard. The only man that ever reached the standard was Jesus Christ, and that was because he was God in human flesh. And so the Pharisees did not interpret it right, did not apply it right. The Pharisees also error, uh, the uh, Pharisees' error was also uh, their concern with outward righteousness the appearance before uh, man. John chapter 12 and verse 43, it says that they love the glory of man more than they love the glory of God. They love the praise of man more than they love the praise of God. Uh, and so they were there to impress the people that they led uh, rather than exalting, uh, exalting Christ. Pharisees were also in error uh, by, because they taught their own commands rather than God's commands. Some of these are fence laws where they establish a laws uh, so that you would break the Pharisaical law before you broke God's law with somewhat of a protection in God's law that they, they, what they started to do is to preach their own words as true and ignoring God's uh, word. In uh, fair, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, it says, In vain they teach the, doc the doctrines of man uh, rather than teaching the uh, doctrines of God. And, uh, and so we'll see this uh, all the way throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, a good uh, summary verse, if you want to turn to this one, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 15. And we ver read verses 18 through 20. And, and, and this is a great summary statement for the Sermon on the Mount. It starts out in verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what devolves the person. Right? It's the heart that defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, right? We talked about murder uh, two sermons ago, adultery and sexual immorality we talk, talked about two weeks ago. Uh, then it goes on to theft and false witness. We're going to talk about oaths and talk about lies and false witnesses today, uh, talking about slander. Uh, these are what defile a person, but to eat uh, with unwashed hands does not defile a person. So, uh, uh, so they were more concerned about washing their hands before a meal than they were about their heart and what they were thinking uh, in, light of, in light of God's word. So that's a perfect summary, station, uh, a summary 
uh, verse that summarizes the Sermon on the Mount. If you flip forward to uh, Matthew chapter 23, uh, not, only does, not only does Christ teach it, teach it, but he applies it when he comes into contact uh, with some Pharisees. And so if we look at Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22, it says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by that oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple, that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swells, swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits a, upon it. And so we're talking about oaths today in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through uh, 37. And that is the application of it. That is Jesus actually confronting the, the Pharisees about the teaching uh, that he has uh, prescribed here, or the question that he has prescribed here. Uh, notice also that each one of these uh, were, were mentioned, the uh, uh, anger, uh, lust, uh, marriage, oaths, etc., etc. So if we go back to Matthew chapter 5 and uh, just recall what we've looked at and what we've learned so far, in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21 through 26, we, we, we looked at anger, and uh, basically, murder and anger distorts the principle of life because you're killing life. It also distorts the emotions and passions of the heart because you get angry and you wish somebody was, was dead. And so there's a standard that God has, his word, and then there's a distortion of it uh, that the Pharisees were guilty of. And that's what we have to examine is do we distort God's original principles as well? And how do we distort those things? And hopefully that would uh, come clear as we, as we move along. Adultery uh, and lust distorts the, the principle of love and the principle of marriage. And it also distorts the emotions and passions of the heart. The emotions and the passions of the heart turns into uh, sexual sins as we looked at a couple weeks ago. And then divorce distorts marriage. It also distorts the love and passion of the heart. Uh, Oath we're going to look at today, which is, distorts truth and promises, and justice, and things of that nature. And then uh, next time we'll look at retaliation, uh, which, <clears throat> excuse me, which distorts justice uh, and forgiveness. <clears throat> and then finally, loving your enemy will distort uh, mercy and, and grace in God's forgiveness. So let's turn back to Matthew chapter 5, and let's uh, read the passage, and then we'll take a look at uh, what God has in store for us today. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse... 33. It says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of our great king. And do not take an oath for, uh, by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So may God uh, add blessing to the reading of his, of his word. 
Uh, so in verse 33, I want to begin by answering the question, what were the Pharisees teaching about oaths? Let me call your attention to two phrases uh, in this particular verse, verse 33, that I think will help us in the interpretation of this verse. The first one is, you shall not swear falsely. Now there is no verse in the Bible that says you shall not swear. And I think that will come uh, clear as we move uh, forward. Shall not swear Oh, no. We will look at this in a moment, but right now, up front, I just want you to understand that there is no uh, uh, Bible verse that tells us that we are not to swear an oath. Uh, there is a right kind of way to enter into an oath or a promise or a covenant, and there's a wrong way, and the Pharisees went to a great extent in trying to explain what is the right way and what is the, and what, what is the wrong way. Their whole entire elaborate system uh, was made up of rules and ways to take an oath. Uh, you shall not fare, excuse me, you shall not fare falsely is true. We don't want to fare, uh, swear falsely, but it's not in the way that the Pharisees went about defining the right way and the wrong way. <clears throat> okay, notice it says, again, you shall, uh, it says you shall not swear falsely. And then it says, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And that'll give us a little bit more inf uh, information as we go along. It says, you shall not perform to the Lord what you have, uh, you have sworn. And so the right way to take an oath, and the only way that the oath was binding as an oath, was an oath that was sworn upon the Lord. Okay, that's true in a sense, but it's also wrong in the way that the Pharisees uh, were in interpreting this. Uh, the following verses... Uh, gives us a little bit more detail in what the pharisaical system uh, taught in swearing. And that is that, that you could swear to just about anything that you wanted to, but the only thing that was binding is if you swore uh, to, to the Lord. Okay, so notice it says that you perform what you have sworn to the Lord, and he's correcting them, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to come back to that because I just told you that nowhere in the Bible does it say we're not to take an oath at all. So that doesn't mean that we are not to take an oath at all. What it means is, I think, here, do not take an oath uh, in accordance with all of these things. Okay, so he goes into all of these things. Do not take an oath by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Do not take an oath by the earth, for it is the footstool of God, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of God. And do not even take an oath of your, uh, by your head. You cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no or any, anything more uh, than this comes from evil. Okay, so as I uh, read these verses, listened to it, listened to it, uh, and, uh, and thought about it, I began to think about how many ways that I have uh, taken, taken an oath and see if any of these, uh, this might show my northern, northern uh, uh, growing up, uh, but see if any of these ring a bell to you as well. Uh, go get a Bible right now and, and I'll lay my hand on it to affirm that what I'm telling you is true. Get a Bible and let me put my hand on it. That's, that's one way that we have uh, done. <clears throat> if I'm lying, may God strike me dead with lightning right now. Have you ever used that? Never used that? I swear by my mother's grave. You ever use that one? Across my heart. I promise. 
cross my, as it crossed my heart makes it any more firm. Now here's, here's one said when we, were, uh, when we were kids. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I'm true. I mean, would you stick a needle in your eye? Well, then I must be telling the truth, right? I'm, it must be a sure thing. You must be able to count on it. Here's, here's one for today. Pinky promise. When they get a pinky promise, that's going to that's gonna affirm. How about, how about this one? You know what I'm doing already, don't you? I'll, I'll make you a promise. Ha! Got my fingers crossed. I don't have to be a man of my word. I got my, I got my fingers crossed, right? That's, that's what we've done. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were thinking all kinds of scapegoats and ways to, to get out of it. I swear upon it. Well, that's not mine. Remember we read in, in uh, Psalm 23, uh, or not Psalm 23, uh, Matthew 23, uh, woe to the Pharisees for they were swearing upon so many different things. Uh, okay. Um, so what exactly was, was Jesus correcting concerning the oaths? Okay, first let's deal with that one verse that says, uh, do not take an oath at all. Do not take an oath. This verse cannot mean do not take an oath at all, at all because God took an oath, Jesus takes oaths, and he commanded oaths of us and requires them of us. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 20, it says, by his name only we shall swear. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 15, it says that, that we should make our oaths to God, not to idols. It was going to say that my people swear by my name. Uh, we're going to turn over to Hebrews in, in just a minute. Uh, and it starts out there in Hebrews chapter 6 that, uh, that God made an oath to Abraham. Right? What, is, what are some synonyms of oaths? Covenants, promises, oaths. Right? And so does God make promises in the Bible? Does God make covenants in the Bible? Those are, those are oaths. Right? We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we can say it's an old oath and it's the new oath. It's a new promise. It's a new covenant. So Jesus is saying to not make an oath at all to all of these things. Just simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's the, that's the principle. That's the standard. Let your yes be yes and no be no. Be a man of integrity. Be a man of, of, of character all the time. All the time. We're going to talk about in a minute what oaths are for and when we use them, uh, but regardless of whether we take an oath or whether we don't take an oath, be a man of your word. Be a woman of your word. Have character. Have integrity. Uh, allow your word to be strong. Allow your word uh, to, be, to, to, to be firm. Quite frankly, uh, if you live in sin all the time and you're not a man of your word or woman of your word, the only reason why you would make an oath or some kind of a promise at that particular time or say one of those things that I said earlier is because you're known as a man, a, a man of not having much integrity and character, and so you've got to strengthen it by making some foolish promise. Oh, I promise I'll be there on time this time. I'll put my hand on the Bible. Bring me a Bible. I'll be sure to be there. Well, why would they call it into question if you're, if you're a man of your word all the time? If you showed up 15 minutes all the time and you told somebody you're going to be there at 5 p.m., well, they'll say, well, I don't worry about it because I know you'll be sitting there at 445 because you always are. Right? You won't even need an oath. You don't even have to add anything to your word if your word is just yes and your word is just no. People can, can have confidence in what you say because you're a man of your word. That's what, that's what I believe uh, God is uh, saying here. Now, uh, to carry it a little bit further... 
uh, he's saying, God is saying that he is over all. Right? So it says, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven. Why don't you take an oath by heaven? Because that is God's throne. Do not uh, take an oath by the earth or anything on the earth. Why? Because that's God's footstool. Don't take an oath by Jerusalem or the tabernacle or the temple or anything else. Why? Because that is God's great city. That is God's great temple. Do not take an oath on your own head. Why? Because God is Lord over you. So what the Pharisees were going, uh, doing is, you want to escape God's accountability? You want to escape God's authority? Well, then you better take an oath to his temple because if you take an oath to God, then you're binding. But if you take an oath to the temple, it's not binding. And God is saying, wait a minute, I'm over the temple. So you're, so you're still, if it's still binding, you can't escape me just because you take an oath to something else. I'm still the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So how, why are you trying to escape me and escape my word? Just obey my word. Why are you making uh, uh, doctrines of men to obey? Just obey my word. Why are you trying to escape my authority? Why are you trying to get uh, out from underneath me? Just listen to my word uh, and, uh, and obey it. Uh, it says, do not swear by my head I made, I, I, because I made that, hat, uh, that head. I know the number of hairs on that head, uh, and despite the many colors of the 21st century, uh, it, only, it only appears to be a certain color. Listen, turquoise, orange, pink, that's not the color of your hair. As soon as you wash it out, it didn't change the color at all. God is the one that has determined the, uh, the, the color of your hair, and that's the point. He is the one that has authority uh, over all things, and so you can't escape God by making some lame oath to some other thing or some other uh, object. And so uh, he is, like I said, he is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And every single man will, will give an account by every single idle word that they utter, period. You make an oath, you're going to be held accountable for it. You don't make an oath and you say something, you're going to be held accountable. That's what, that's what Jesus is correcting uh, the Pharisees from, uh, from saying, from doing. The principle is this. Whatever you say you will do, do it. It's that simple. Whatever you say you will do, do it. It does not matter what or who you make an oath to. God will judge what you say and what you do. He is looking for men and women of their, of their word. He's looking for women and men of character and integrity, period. That's what he desires that's what he wants. So what, is the, what does the Bible teach about oaths? Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. I found this jewel while preparing for this message. And I'm getting ready to start chapter 6 with the senior adults. And God in his providence worked these two together on the same weekend. Hebrews chapter 6 starting in verse 13. I'm going to read it to you first and then we'll take a look at it. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, there's God making a promise, making an oath to Abraham. Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For, this is the definition, getting to the definition of oaths. For people swear by something greater than themselves. 
in all of their disputes, an oath is final confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so let's go back and look. First of all, in uh, verse 13, uh, again, God swore an oath. And so God does not say that we are not supposed to swear oaths. In fact, we are to be imitators of God. And one of the ways we can be imitators of God is to be a man of integrity and character by taking oaths and doing exactly what we have said uh, in those oaths or in our word. God did not have anybody greater than himself, uh, so he swore upon himself, implying that one of the purposes for oaths is to swear upon something greater than ourselves. God can swear upon himself because he cannot lie and he does not change. That is the highest standard that he could swore to, so he swore to himself. Uh, we are liars from birth, and so an oath is good to swear upon something greater to affirm that what we say will actually take place. And I'll explain that a little bit further uh, in a moment. But let's just look here. Uh, men swear among greater things, things greater than themselves. Um, oaths, uh, according to uh, Hebrews chapter 6, oath settles disputes. Oath settles disputes. When you have a dis dispute, uh, some disagreements, right, you come together before a court. The court is higher than yourself. You come together with a dispute. Something is determined. Something is, uh, the, the consequences are handed out. Uh, based on the courts, you're required to carry out whatever the decision is, the dispute itself. And so that's one, reasons, one reason why we have uh, uh, oaths. Oaths finalize and confirms. Uh, it confirmed that your yes will be yes. Now, one of the, one of the things that, uh, one of the reasons why we uh, take oaths, I believe, uh, is, is not flippantly on a day-to-day -day basis. Right, we don't sit here and like every word that we speak, uh, we have to have an oath behind it. <clears throat> but one is, if it's a, if it's a long-term thing, right? suppose we, we're in, entering business together, uh, suppose that we're signing a contract for a mortgage, uh, we might say, uh, yeah, I'll pay for it, I'll, I'll make a payment. Right? And then you make a payment and you say, well, I said I'd make a payment. I made one. Right? And so there's this longevity, there's this reoccurring thing that you have to do over and over and over again and so you take an oath to say okay this is my promise this is this is how many payments that I have to make and I promise an oath that I will make every single payment that is necessary all the way until the note is completely paid for right God does that he made a promise with Abraham right and it wasn't that he was going to get it that very same moment or that very same time it was going to be over a long extended period of time. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And he, and he made a covenant with Abraham. Then he 
reaffirmed that covenant with his son and then reaffirmed it again and reaffirmed it again until we get to Solomon and the, the, uh, the promise of that great nation uh, was fulfilled. So it's for longevity. It's for consistency. I'm going to make this first payment. I'm going to make every payment after it until the, until the whole thing is, for, is, is, is fulfilled. So again, it's not a flippant day-to-day -day thing. It's not every time we utter a promise or a word or something, we have to reaffirm it with an oath. But if it's something that is long-term or maybe a group of people, two people coming into business together, and uh, there has to be some form of steady commitment, integrity, and character, and you might want to write up the parameters of this long relationship and say, this is our dealings all the way through until this business is established, that kind of a thing. So it's not a flippant day-to-day. -day. The Pharisees were like, any time and every time they uttered something, they would have some kind of an oath behind it to reaffirm that they had uh, some form of righteousness. Okay, it goes on to say here uh, that uh, God made an oath to make it more convincing. Uh, Jesus, Jesus did that. He said, uh, you know, Jesus should be able to just state his word and that be true. And so why does he have to be more convincingly? Well, sometimes Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, sometimes Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. What is he trying? He's trying to be more convincing or emphasize that, uh, that you know, pay attention to this because this is really significant and you really need to pay attention to what's being, uh, to what's being said here. So God says here, even, even here, um, making it to Abraham, one of the reasons it's to be more, more convincing. And some, and, and uh, this is the, this is the, uh, the, uh, 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 anthropomorphism of God in that he has attributed uh, 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 man-like qualities, right? So he, he, he condescended to our level, entering, entering into our oath-taking system, knowing that we needed to be more convinced that this is true, right? Because of our sinfulness. And so God deals with us in that way. And so we too, being imitators of God, uh, sometimes we take an oath to be more convincing that we will abide by these standards and carry this thing uh, all the way out to uh, completion. Um, it goes on to say that God took an oath, uh, 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 took a promise uh, to show his unchanging character. Right? Now, God doesn't, doesn't need an oath for his unchanging character, but we need an oath to say, listen, that our character and our integrity will stand. You, you can rest upon it. We'll sign a document under the courts. It's punishable by law uh, to show that we won't change our character because we've appealed to this higher power, this higher system called our court system uh, to convince you that I am going to pay or this court is going to step in and going to take it out of my, take it out of my paycheck. Right, so it's more convincing. Uh, it is uh, 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 shows us that our um, our character will be unchanging, and oaths are for a guarantee. Right, God gave us His oath to guarantee that we will have eternal life and we will enter into the kingdom of God, so that we can live in hope with this guarantee that in the future the kingdom of God is going to be established. And we are going to be a part of it because of Jesus Christ and what he has done and prepared for us. Uh, it gives us hope for the resolution. Uh, that is, that it is going to be completed, it's going to be paid for. 
right? It, it goes on to say uh, that oaths encourage us, right? When you're living in a fallen world, uh, in, in, a, in a system that is filled with sinners and sin, isn't it encouraging that we have a higher court system that we can enter into mortgages and, and contracts uh, with sinners and have some form of a guarantee that they're going to be true to their word and we're going to be true to our word? It just brings encouragement for us. Uh, it brings an anchor to our disputes. It anchors our disputes. We have some way to resolve the problem uh, by, by taking oaths. And so God condescended to us to make oaths with us uh, the way that we need to receive oaths. Uh, we make uh, oaths with our mortgage companies. We sign contracts, uh, contracts that are binding by law, and those things are, are good to operate in our, in our lost, uh, uh, lost world. However, with, with this in mind, uh, again, whether we have oaths, whether we have contracts, whether we have promises, whether we have court systems, whether we have police departments or whatever, ultimately, ultimately, we are children of the king. And ultimately, we are men and women of our word because of God. In other words, as Christians, we should be able to enter into a contract uh, with no contract, with no oath, just our word that says we're going to pay for it, and we should pay it every single month that it occurs without that contract. Now, legally, we need to have it, and legally, it's good for the unbeliever, but if you are a believer and I'm a believer and we enter into an oath, I should be able to accept your word just as much as we sign the contract with the courts. That's the kind of people we just are. That's the way that it needs, that's the way that it should be. That's what Jesus Christ is correcting the Pharisees. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Whether you have an oath or whether you don't, just be a man or woman of integrity. Now, examining our hearts. Y'all, the benefit of my little graphic there, there's probably others, uh, but the only one that is acceptable to God, the only one that is uh, acceptable is the one on the right, and that is that out of the heart, comes your word and your word is binding to your actions and you fulfill it fully your yes is yes your no is no uh, your your from your heart you receive god's word from your heart you love god with all your heart mind soul and strength you love uh, you love god's word you love others as you do yourself you enter into a covenant with them and based on your loving heart and your word you fulfill it every every step of the way the one on the left, right, the Pharisees may have done what is right, but in their motives, in their heart, in their passions, in their desires, that wasn't where they were, right? They were doing what was right in the eyes of man, but in their heart, they were as corrupt and as dirty as you possibly can be. All right, so there's several things I want us to uh, consider in, in closing here, uh, four quick things. The first one is, uh, in your sinful nature, you were conceived in sin. You were born as natural-born liars. Psalm 58, verse 3 says, From birth we speak lies. From birth. In Psalm 116, verse 11, it says, All mankind are liars. In Matthew chapter 15, and verse 19, it says, Out of the heart comes lies. Right? Meaning that in your flesh, 
Your heart is a lie factory. That's all it produces. Lie after lie after lie. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, it says, You are of your father the devil, who is the father of lies. Right? We can, we can, I like that word, we can glorify God or we can glorify sin or we can glorify Satan. Right? You can live as a child of Satan or you can live as a child of, of Christ. The Bible says in the beginning uh, that, uh, that God was going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. Which means that the seed of Satan would be at odds with the seed of the woman, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the truth. And so to be at odds with God, to be at odds with Christ, is to be a liar. And that's who we are apart from salvation. When we're apart from salvation, excuse me, the Bible says that God abhors lies and hates lying tongues. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, read that one. Six things God hates, seven things that are abomination to him. One of those things that he hates is that we are liars and that we lie. Proverbs 20, uh, excuse me, 12, 22 says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 19.9 says, lies will not go unpunished. Revelation chapter 21 verse, eight says, 21 verse 8 says, all liars will be in the lake of fire and burns, that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Listen, my friends. This is why we're here this morning. Listening to the word of God. We are doomed as liars. We are hellbound without Christ as liars. And I'm not here telling you to go out here Monday morning and tell the truth. I'm telling you to start here and accept receiving Jesus Christ. Because upon accepting Jesus Christ, God changes the heart. Listen to these. Upon salvation, our nature saves, changes. Proverbs 13, 5. The righteous begin to hate all falsehoods. The righteous begin to hate falsehoods. Colossians 3, 9. Listen. Do not lie to one another if you have died to your old self and all of its practices. Ephesians 4.25 Having put off falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. Psalm 101.7 No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Again, I'm not asking you to go out here and just do it and be a good person and have good morals. I'm telling you that you have a deep-seated problem. It's called sin and a sin nature that causes you. You're bent away from truth and, you bent, and you're bent towards lies. And God needs to take that bent nature and bend it back towards him. And he does that through Jesus Christ. We never stop needing Christ. I'm not telling you to be a Jew and establish your own righteousness and being still ignorant of the righteousness that's found in Christ. I'm telling you to receive the righteousness that's found in Christ. You will have salvation and then you will begin to be bent back the other way and we will see that happen on Monday morning. Not because you're trying to be moral and a good person because Jesus Christ changed your heart. That's what was needed with the Pharisees and that's what's needed with everyone here for us today. We need God to change our lying hearts. 
And so Jesus Christ is our standard. As God told the scribes and the Pharisees, if you're going to make it into heaven, your righteousness is going to have to exceed every single person's righteousness that sits in this pew. You look to the left, your righteousness has to exceed their righteousness. You look to the right, your righteousness has to exceed that of their righteousness. Because the only righteousness that will save and the only righteousness that will change a wicked heart is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so if you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you will not dwell with God in your state of lying, in your state of falsehoods. You need Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you are saved today, you have been changed. And if you are still lying, let me challenge you to put those practices away for the glory of God. Not for a personal righteousness of your own, but to bring light to the change that God has put, has made in your, in your, in your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God in heaven, we love you and thank you, uh, Father, for this challenge this morning. Uh, to be a man and woman of our word, to be a man and woman of integrity and character. Lord, we need you to establish your righteousness in our heart. We need you to change this wicked heart, take out this heart of stone that does nothing but lie, and put in a, a, a heart of flesh that is sensitive to your truth and hates falsehood and hates lies and desires to put away those practices to walk the way that Christ has allowed us to walk. Father, do your work in and through our lives in making us men and women of integrity for your name's sake and for your name's sake alone. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.